Greetings. It is good to be here. I've heard a little bit about Kerrville from Wes Crawford, uh, who works down the hall from me, and he said that he spoke here a few times, and he said that I would receive a rich welcome, and you have welcomed me well. I appreciate it. The energy in this room is good and healthy, and I've appreciated coming in to the uh, hospitality that's here. You're all, most of you anyway, were my witnesses that I had a mask on. That'll be the first question my spouse will ask me when she sees me again. Did you wear your mask? Uh, she's probably the most conservative person you know uh, during the, the pandemic. Maybe not, but she's, she's up there. So when she calls <laughs> and gets the directory out, I'd like for all of you to bear witness uh, to that. And she said that I could throw her under the bus uh, if I needed to uh, about wearing a mask. It's not always easy to be a fill-in preacher, whatever fill-in means. Uh, I find it difficult, even though I've been preaching since I was 13, uh, I find it difficult sometimes to pick a text. What will the, the sermon text be? And so I've made a habit whenever I fill in, uh, because it's easy to go back and grab one of your favorite sermons and pull out something that's been well-polished. That's easy. That doesn't actually help me uh, grow and, and mature. And, and so I try to write something new every time. And so what I do is I go to the Revised Common Lectionary. I don't know if you've heard about a lectionary before, a listing of readings uh, that uh, churches have agreed that this is what they'll preach. And so in the United States today, the text today will be the most often preached text across the country. Uh, Presbyterians, Episcopalians, uh, Disciples of Christ, uh, so on and so forth, among many of the, the mainline churches. I wouldn't have picked this text. Uh, this is a hard text. This is about like trying to uh, convince your children that they need to eat turnip greens. Uh, my dad liked turnip greens, so, uh, and I like my dad, but uh, for me, I never could figure out, uh, even if you explain the nutritional value of turnip greens, it's still, in my mind, they go down hard. Uh, this is a text that I wish just got left off the menu. And so, don't blame me. Blame the lectionary that chose this text to be in the menu. Uh, Luke 6. Uh, it's the Sermon on the Plain. Uh, it's about a third smaller than the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount has over a hundred some verses. This one has just a little over 30 some verses. The Sermon on the Plain, it's also blue-collar language. It's straight language. It doesn't pull any punches language. And so when the Sermon on the Mount says, blessed are the poor in spirit, the Sermon on the Plain says, blessed are the poor. Uh, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. The Sermon on the Plain says, 
blessed are the hungry. And where the Sermon on the Mount does not have woe oracles, the Sermon on the Plain says, woe unto you, four times. The Sermon on the Plain is plain speech. It's direct. But in both the Sermon on the Mount and the Sermon on the Plain, Jesus says, love your enemies. The text begins, but I say to you that listen, that listen. Uh, listening's important. I think that listening is the most important pastoral skill that I teach preachers in my classes. I have a whole semester where all we do is teach preachers how to listen. I teach ethnography, I teach asset mapping, I teach appreciative inquiry, I teach them how to even ask a question. And they go out and do field research in that course with various communities. Listening. Uh, when I was a full-time minister for 17 years before I came to ACU, uh, I called it my coffee table ministry. Uh, Old-fashioned visitation doesn't seem to work as well these days as it used to. I used to be able to just to go out and do some cold turkey on members, and they would invite me in. Now, if you go out and just knock on somebody's door, oh, no, <laughs> what am I going to do? The house isn't clean. And... But coffee table ministry, I'd go in, and, and I'd sit across uh, the coffee table in the living room, and, and I would just listen ask a question or two, but just listen. And get served pie I didn't really like, but I'd eat it. Uh, I can remember one particular woman who would bring her two pies to church fellowships uh, once a month, and one piece would be t eaten, and the rest would go home with her because the congregation knew And that one piece that would be eaten would be the piece that she put on a plate and brought and sat beside me while I ate it. <laughs> so coffee table ministry, sometimes you have to eat pie that you really don't like. My wife has a recipe for that same pie, and it's quite nice. But that's enough of that. Listening. Now you have to do a lot of that listening at Starbucks, or you have to do that listening somewhere else. You can't necessarily go into people's homes. Visitation ministry is not as important as it used to be. But listening. And so Jesus starts this section of the sermon, but I say to you that listen. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold your shirt. Give to everyone who begs from you. And if anyone takes away your goods... 
do not ask for them again. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those whom you hope to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love your enemies. Do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great, and you'll be children of the Most High. For God is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you'll be forgiven. Give, and it'll be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For the measure you will be give will be measured that you'll get back. Let's pray. Our gracious God, you are our creator, you are our redeemer, you are our sustainer. And you've given us a hard word to love our enemies. Those who hate us, those who curse us, those who abuse us. How in the world can we love them? Father, as we hear this word, open up our hearts to love. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Uh, there's a textbook that some of the professors at ACU are, are using in teaching Christian leadership right now. Uh, it's one that I know that uh, Carson Reed has been using both in his master's level leadership class and his doctor of ministry leadership class. It's a book by Scott Cremode at Fuller Seminary called The Innovative Church. It's a fascinating read. And in the book, Innovative Church, he presses listening. And he talks about listening from, from uh, various ways, but he first he begins by saying, you have to listen to God. You listen to God because so often when we come to God, we have our own opinions. We have our own judgments. We have our own ways of doing things and thinking about things. We have our own agenda. And you've got to put that aside to be able to listen to God. Second, he says, listen to Scripture. And that's what I hope we do this morning. We listen to Scripture. And we need to listen in community. I think in lots of ways, that's what we should do after this sermon uh, if we could be in roundtables and actually have a conversation, how do you love your enemies? Who are your enemies? Where are the enemies of this congregation? Where are the enemies that are in this community? 
uh, and, and brainstorm a little bit. Listen in community from the wisdom, the collective wisdom of brothers and sisters, the collective wisdom of the saints, to listen in community. And he says, you need to listen to those entrusted to your care. And that's how he defines leadership. We're leading people who are entrusted to our care. Now, I'm just the fill-in preacher. And so, in many respects, uh, you're not entrusted to my care except for just a small moment in time that the elders have ordained this moment, and I'll, I'll be leaving. But you have leadership here. You have folks here that are entrusted to your care. In fact, when we start talking about, as the song said, love one another, we're entrusted to each other's care. Brothers and sisters entrusted to each other's care. We are our brother's and sister's keeper. And that word love also entrusts others to our care that are not part of the one another body of Christ. And that's love our neighbors. And so Kerrville has a neighborhood. You have neighbors. This community has neighbors. And we are called to love them. This community has been entrusted to your care. And you're to love them. But that word love entrusts other people to our care. The other people that are entrusted to our care are our enemies. Love one another, love our neighbors, and love our enemies. Now, that's pretty inclusive then. I'm not sure who gets left out of who is entrusted to our care. Love our enemies. And when we look at this text and we read, who is our enemy? Those who hate you, those who curse you, those who abuse you, those who strike you, anyone who takes from you your coat, anyone who begs from you, anyone who takes your other goods. And then we come down a little later, those that are ungrateful and those that are wicked. That's a hard list. And we're entrust, they are entrusted to us. I'm not naive. I recognize that they may not receive our love. Paul says in, in Romans 12 and verse 18, live at peace with everyone as far as it depends upon you. And sometimes it just does not depend upon you. Sometimes others will not live at peace with you, and they will oppose you. Luke knows that. They hate you, they abuse you, they curse you, they take from you, they're ungrateful, and they're wicked. I don't believe Luke has any imagination here that, that the Roman oppressors were going to compromise because you love. But the call is not to them. The call is to us to love. 
So I'm not naive. I recognize that when they hate you and they abuse you, it will be painful and it may not be alleviated. Because your reward, he will say, may be later. It'll be pressed down. It'll be shaken. It will overflow. But that reward is not promised on the very moment that you love because you shouldn't expect them to return things to you when they take your goods. As we hear about rumors of war on the Ukraine, that's made me think a little bit about the rumors of war uh, that happened uh, before World War II. And so as I was driving down here, I was listening to a book on tape. I was listening to Ken Follett's uh, Winter of the World. I've not finished. Maybe I won't finish when I get back. It's 30-something hours on tape. Uh, it's not quite that far between here and Abilene, even round trip. But I'm, I'm hearing some things, and I, and I checked on the internet before I got the book uh, about the historical accuracy of Ken Follett and his writing of this uh, novel. It's actually the second volume of a three-volume set. Volume one is about World War I. And the internet is pretty convinced that Follett is historically accurate, even though it's historical fiction, that he's got his history right. And I've been, I've been fascinated about the rise of fascism uh, in other places besides Germany, the rise of fascism in England, and, and even how there was marches and peaceful protest, not really, but that were happening in London. And I've been interested to, to read about uh, an American businessman, and I won't name the company because it's still in existence, but that they were shipping over supplies to Hitler before the war to fund, to fuel the economy there. And when I think about Stalin, and I think about Franco, and I think about Hitler, it is easy to recognize your enemy. It's easy. And it's easy. Follett has an opinion about these folks. Follett has an opinion because he is actually part of the Labor Party in England currently. Did a little background in his biography. Uh, and it is, in many ways, the Labor Party pre-World War II that was opposing fascism in England, according to Follett. And so it's easy to be persuaded by his agenda and hate I, 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 I hate what he hates as I listen to the book. I'm prejudiced against those people that are that prejudiced. I'm intolerant of those people that are intolerant. Those emotions don't leave me. I, I'm guilty. When people hate me and people want to say abusive things to me, when people want to curse me, I... It is not easy. And so let's just be honest. But it's easy to recognize 
fascists and Nazism in World War II, that's an easy one. But when we start talking about today, the enemies around us, and of course, Putin would be one that we might look to as the rumors of war, possibilities of another war across Europe might take place. But to think about the enemies, and, and so one of the ways I wanted to think about that was to think about the other. Who is the other? Because it's easy to love those that are like us, that look like us, who think like us, who talk like us, who have the same kind of accent. I'm not a Texan. I'm from Indiana. Not many people claim to be from Indiana. And I have a Hoosier twang. And so the Hoosier twang will not ask you why. The Hoosier twang will ask you how's come. And high school students in Indiana do not spell should have with an apostrophe V-E. They spell it with an O-F. It should have. And so there is a Hoosier twang, and I get it. I, but I'm close enough to being like one of you that you... Uh, my grandfather was an elder in Churches of Christ. My father was an elder in Churches of Christ. I started preaching when I was 13. I went to Christian schools, not in Texas, First time I was on ACU's campus is when I interviewed for the job 25 years ago. But sensing, if you listen to my grandfather, it's from England. If you listen to his sister, it's from France. If you listen to the Methodist minister named Sensing in Nashville, Tennessee, it's from Germany. Sensenig. And there are a lot of Cincinnigs in Germany. I don't know. I've, I've looked at the tracing. But I do know that, that uh, until I was about five or six or so, I had blonde hair and I had blue eyes. And my children had blonde hair and blue eyes. My father has blue eyes. My grandchildren now, five of them, all have blue eyes. And they're all starting out as blondes. And that's what Germany said you needed to have, right? Uh, blonde hair and blue eyes. Uh, I, I look like I belong in America. I'm not so other. Where we have problems loving is when we start loving the other. People who don't look like us. People who don't talk like us. People who who have a little different accent about things, have a little different perspective. It's almost as though they're in the room and they breathe different air than we're breathing. It's the other. And so I'd like to think about what Mr. Rogers says about his neighborhood, that when people you don't like are in your neighborhood, you can learn to love them if you listen to their stories. 
God has a story. And God wants us all, everyone, everywhere, to be brought into the story of God. And so we start with other people's stories, and, and we want to bring them into God's story. And to begin that process, you listen to other people's stories. You listen to them. I was, we have a lot of, uh, of African students in the ACU graduate program. Uh, we run around about 25 African students all the time, uh, mostly from Ghana uh, or Eswatini, uh, working with Heritage Christian College in Accra, Ghana, or African Christian College in Eswatini. And, and when I was over in 2007 uh, teaching a class, uh, spiritual formation there, uh, talking to the Ghanaian students, it became fairly obvious to me that they know. When, when I'm in Africa, they all, everyone seems to be the same. I don't see any differences. But the Ghanaians know who the Nigerians are, and the Nigerians know who the Ghanaians are, and they don't really like each other. I took a, an African-American student with me, uh, and he was taking the class. ACU paid for his way, and he took the class over there. And we just got to talking at dinner one night, and I said, where is he from? And Eric was his name, and he says, I don't know what my descent is. But everyone in that room says he's Kenyan. They knew, or at least they claimed that they knew. And they all know who the Liberians are. Because while they might not like each other, they all do not like the Liberians. And it was obvious to me, because we had one Liberian student in my class who was probably sharper than the others, but they didn't even let him answer a question unless I directly intervened. And they did not socialize with him, these brothers in Christ in this class. And so when we think about the other, that happens here too. It happens here. It's easy to talk about that over there, but it happens here too. When we talk about the other, uh, I'd like to think about uh, how do we listen to the other? I think that we need to listen to their hopes and their dreams, the things that they aspire for, the things that, that they long for, but I think we also need to listen to their fears and their, and their hurts and their pains. What keeps someone up at night? And that might be their aspirations, their hopes, and their dreams, but it also might be the very things that are crushing to them. And we listen. What tears up their days? What brings tears to their eyes? And we listen. For if we listen to those longings, and we listen to those hurts, and we listen to those pains, we can start to listen with empathy. I might not know what it's like to be a 15-year-old girl who gets crushed by a boyfriend who breaks up with her. But I've had experiences where I have really wanted something really bad that has come to a sudden unexpected end that has crushed me. And so I can empathize. 
I might not know what it's like to be an 80-year-old man at a hospital bed holding his wife's hand as she slowly drifts to her death. But I know what it's like to lose someone I deeply care about and love. And so as we listen to people's hurts and we listen to people's pains and what tears up their days, what they long for, we can learn to empathize because we need to start listening to the differences, not just what we have in common, what we like together, but why are we different? Why do we act differently? Why do we sometimes look differently? Why do we sometimes say a word differently? We need to listen across difference in, in so many ways. I think that when we think about listening, we need to think about not wanting to have control, wanting to make sure that our word is what's heard and our opinion is what rules the day, but actually listen, not having the last word, sometimes not having the word at all. There was a woman that was a member of a congregation where I preached for five years in Indiana, and she hated everything about my preaching. First, in what you're experiencing here, I only preach from one text. That has more than I can handle. That, that one text has more sermons in it than I can preach in any given Sunday. And and I just preached from one text, and she wanted me to preach from about 25 or 30, right? You've, you've been there. You know, here's a point verse, here's a point verse, here's a point verse, here's a point. She wanted, a, and so she didn't like my preaching. Every other week for five years, I went to her home, and I sat in her living room, and I did not say much at all. I just listened. I just listened. And she kept coming to church. Even though she could have gotten a ride with the congregation to the congregation where she would prefer to go, where they didn't have refrigerators and kitchens in the church. You know, we baptized our refrigerator. That's how it got into our church. <laughs> but they didn't. She could have gone there, uh, but, right, but she kept coming. She kept coming because her granddaughters were coming to our church. And when her granddaughter, youngest granddaughter, climbed out on the top of the porch and came down a, a telephone pole and got on the backside of a motorcycle and rode away, she called me because I had been listening to her for five years. We differed on a lot of stuff. We differed on a lot of stuff. We baptized her granddaughter about a month later. Listening across difference. Listening without wanting to be in control. Listening without having to have the last word. Listening without having to win. Because sometimes people oppose you. And you don't have to win. 
but you do have to love. Jesus says in this text that there are some lies out there that are common in the 21st century. They're still alive and well. One of those lies has to do with the fact that there is this subject called retributive justice, uh, uh, retaliation, tooth for tooth, an eye for an eye. And, and Jesus is responding to that by saying, you do not confront hate with revenge. And he says it there in that, that first part. When they take from you, you don't try to get it back. When they punch you, you don't try to strike back. When they steal your coat, give them your shirt too. You do not respond in kind to hate from your enemies. Loving your enemies means you do not respond in kind. You do not retaliate. You do not take revenge. And, and I think that in our American culture, we want to be strong. We want to stand our ground. We want to we push back. We want to win. We're in a competitive, competitive society where it's all about winning. And Jesus says to love your enemy, you do not do that because that's a lie. Then there's another lie that's even harder to hear that he talks about. He says, you do not practice this thing called reciprocity. Not just retributive justice, but reciprocity. And that is you pay back to those who give to you. And he talks about it three times. If you love those who love you, do good to those who do good to you, uh, lend to those who only repay for you, he says, even sinners do that. Your friends do that. To love your enemy, says, if, you, if that's the only way you live, that's a lie. That's not how you love your enemy, to just do it among your friends. Because the big truth here to be included in the kingdom of God, the big truth here is to act like God acts. And God is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. God is merciful to them. And God forgives them. When you read text, and you're going to listen to God, and you're going to listen to Scripture, you have to find out where God is in the text. And where God is in the text is in forgiveness, and in kindness, and in mercy. And if you will act like God, then you will be the child of the Most High. You'll be a child of the Most High. Do not judge. Do not condemn. But forgive. And your reward will be great. 
fully measured, packed down, shaken, overflowing. Love your enemy. It will transform you. Love your enemy. Jesus says, the word for today is love your enemy. That's a hard word. It's a hard word. And we're going to sing a song in response to that word.